Lean in, Lisa, put her to the test. Lean in, Lisa, so get off your chest. It's more than just a trend, cause everyone's her friend. So lean in with Lisa, spend your time with Lisa. Lisa's got something to say. So reach out to Lisa every day. Hey, everybody. I've got a great show today with me on my podcast is Kenny Morse. He was Mr. Traffic and he is probably the greatest stand-in in all of Hollywood. You saw him on my last show with Barry Pearl and I am so excited to have him on. So reach out to Lisa every day. That, ladies and gentlemen, is a man who 56, 60 years after making the movie Grease, when you go out to a restaurant with Barry Pearl, invariably somebody comes, because Grease is on every single day somewhere on television. And Barry, frankly, I mean, although he is my age, 103. um, 105. Yeah, yeah, 105. It's the internet, I lied. So um, somebody will invariably come up to him and say, Aren't you duty from Greece? I'm going. It was it was the seventies. What is wrong? See. Although I have to tell you a funny a funny thing. One time, Lisa Barry and I were having uh, dinner at uh, where else? We're at Del. We were at Canton's. Canton's Deli on Fairfax. Yes. And uh, we were sitting having dinner, and somebody approaches the table. Right. And I go, oh, here we go again. And they go, Aren't you, Mr. Traffic? And, and well, which is the sh- TV show that I used to do on cable and my radio show at the time. And um, Barry goes, I love it. I love it because you were Mr. Traffic, Kenny Morse, my my friend of thirty plus years. Yep. Right. Uh, you know, we've known each other since uh, I had hair, and what hair I had, I. Like in the show Pepper Street, I had it on my hair, and then in the middle of the show, I ripped it off my head. But you look good. You look very good. Um, for hundred. Uh, for hundred five, hundred five. But you do. But you have a very hairy chest. That's true, and uh, it's funny because uh, you know times have changed in terms of whether manscaping. Back when we were doing Pe- uh, Pepper Street, manscaping was not in, and. Uh, you know, the people were uh, people were full full blown uh, hairy on their chest, and uh, as they say, full bush. You know, but uh, you know, it's, uh, it grew all right, all right. This is a family show. Well, I mean, you had you oh my that's, god, that's how, you knew, how you knew you were in the family. Um, you know, I tell people I, I had hair where it counts. Um, by the way, I had a crush on you. I'll tell you what happened. So when the day I when I got the part in Pepper Street, I walked on stage and you were there with Tamara and uh, I think it was Jill Sholin. Um, Star. Yeah. And you were saying, and I looked over at you and I said, he, well, I know him. How do I know this guy? Did I, did I sleep with him? No, no. Did I... No, do I know him from from college? Do I know him from the gym? Do I know? And then I realized I knew your face because I've seen you. I've seen your work. 
Yeah, I got a, I got around uh, a lot in the 80s. <laughs> and I think you and I worked together on something that we, years ago, like in New York, when we were in New York together. That's possible. I certainly remember the day you and Paul Ben Victor showed up in my class. Okay, that's, an, that, that's <laughs> we have to talk about that. We walked in, and there you were teaching, and oh boy. <laughs> eight hours of uh, eight hours of fun and games, and uh, you know, I, I, I you, you not, you're not going to remember any of it. But I used to say at the beginning of the class, "How many of you wish that you didn't have to come here today?" And everybody would raise their hand, and then I would say, "By the time the end of the class rolls around, not only are you going to be glad you came here, you're going to be begging me for an extra hour." That could <laughs> happen. It could have happened. You know what, though, I have to tell you. I was so upset two years ago that you stopped doing it. Yes, I retired from it in 2015. Because I had to go to traffic school again. I won't tell I you. I thought I taught time. you better. Yeah, well, I don't want to tell you. And it was like watching paint dry. <laughs> well, you know, that, that was the thing that. Uh, I mean, I didn't start out as, quote, Mr. Traffic, I started out as a comedy traffic school teacher because a very dear friend of Barry's and mine who recently passed away, Phil Steller, who was in an improv group that Barry and I had created. And uh, he was doing this job as a comedian teaching traffic school at the time. And I was in between jobs like most of our, like actors are. And I, I said, uh, what does it pay? And he told me and I said, well, I can do that. Didn't know. But um, I started training and uh, it turned out I could do that. I was pretty good at teaching, never had taught before. You were and great at teaching. A couple of years later, I ended up on KFI radio with Bill Handel on Saturday mornings as his resident expert traffic guru, because he would always screw up. Uh, people would call in and ask, ask the lawyer legal questions. And when it came to traffic laws, which is the number one way that a citizen meets a, a police officer in court, even now, uh, he would get the law wrong and I'd call up and say, uh, no, because I was very encyclopedic about my knowledge of traffic laws and regulations. And finally, he said, you know, I think you're, you know, we're, you should come down and do this every week in the studio. You'll be Mr. Traffic. And I go. So how many tickets have you gotten in all the years you've been driving? In all the years that I've been driving, I got two tickets, and that was mainly in my uh, teen and uh, and seventies. You never rolled through a stop sign. The, the sushi stop, the California roll. That's good. I, I make a complete stop to, and to this day. Sushi one, stop. One, two, go. Or as I used to okay. tell my students, look, no cops, go. Okay. Okay. So you do one, two, three. I, one, two, look, go. Okay, because one, what most people, the, the stop sign that you roll when there's nobody there is the stop sign you'll roll. When, the number one thing said after a car crash, besides, the number one said is, never saw him coming. And that's when, and a rolling, rolling stop. It's the same thing with people who speed up on a red light. That's why all the people who have, go through red light cameras, which would include uh, a, a guest that you formerly had on the, show here and uh, and uh, he he called me up one day and he said 
Now, who are you going to believe, the traffic camera or you, or me? Or your best I, friend. Yeah, or your best friend. And I said, well, that, that's actually a pretty easy one. I'm going to believe the camera. Because, you see, people are unaware of whether uh, they, they could swear they didn't, uh, that, they, that they didn't run the red light. But I can assure you, uh, the camera doesn't lie. So when you're driving, so you're driving, and all of a sudden, the light turns yellow. Yellow light doesn't mean speed up. <laughs> so what? So you well, slow no, down. My, my as soon as wait, as soon as the light turns yellow. What, is, what does the yellow light mean, my former graduate? It means slow down and stop. Correct. Slow down. The red light's coming. Unless you want. And now the tickets are. They're they're just under a thousand dollars. Who can pay for that? I mean. If I tell you how many people where I'm going to make a left turn and I'm standing there waiting to make my left and they'll just go right through that, that yellow uh, light. For some reason, I, I think it's a human thing, really, Lisa, is that everybody feels that it's important to make the light when in reality all you're doing is getting to the next red light sooner to be stopped there. That's I, so I, true. It's I, so I, true. Very often over the years, I would see somebody next to me and they would speed up to make the light and I'd stop at the light. And then when I would pull up to them at the next red light after my light went green, I'd go, Hi. Hi. <laughs> Asshole. Do you know, I have to tell you, is this a New York thing? When I am going to my car and I leave Costco and I'm walking in the parking lot and I see someone looking for a spot, I, I look at them and say, and I say, follow me, follow me. And the person who tries to cut them off, I tell them, I'm sorry, but that person, I'm giving them my spot. And no, I'm driving into the mall. And a person, a woman is walking slow. Oh my God. So could she walk any slower? And she sees I'm looking, waiting for the spot. And she, like you said, takes out the cell phone. That's right. It's so rude. You is know, that rude? It's not, it's not that they actually have to make a phone call. They're just going to go through, uh, oh, yeah, I'm looking through my pictures now. I'm going to look through my contacts. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make them what it, it's kind of like the old Isn't thing. Isn't that you know, mean? That's mean. Well, it, people are mean. People, <laughs> it's a mean-spirited thing to do. People are mean. Uh, listen, when people get into a car, and this has always been true, and it's more true now than it's ever been, people turn into the person that when you're, when you're in public, you know, we're talking right now and we observe a certain amount of decorum and uh, uh, especially when there's public involved and uh, when there's people around, but when you get into that car and you're the only one in there and you're the only people do things in the car, they would never do outside of the vehicle. And I said you for years, you are how you drive, who you are behind the wheel, that's who you are, who you are when you're outside the vehicle. That's who you pretend to be. No, everyone's watching and you won't get away with it. The, yeah, they, that's another. Politicians of any stripe, Democrat, Republican, Independent, they only do what they think they can get away with. And uh, um, it, I think things are worse now since the pandemic, Lisa. We became so isolated in the last two, three years that uh, when people get that, finally get back into their cars, um, they go for it. And speeding tickets are up almost almost 60% pre-pandemic. Are they really? Absolutely. And so are traffic. You know, you would think that 
traffic has died down. We're still somewhat in the pandemic, although everybody has seemed to ignore it. Not me. When I go to work, when I go to Dancing with the Stars tomorrow, I will be not only in my mask, I will be in a full shield. Uh, that's that's also yeah. because they require us to be. But uh, I have I have danced on a number of occasions when working in the rehearsals of Dancing with the Stars. They don't they don't know my background that I was up with you in a musical, and you know that I go back to being in the the musical Grease and other shows that I did with music. They don't know that I'm a singer and a dancer, and so they know me as a rehearsal actor stand-in. You see, the stars don't come to rehearsal. We do. <laughs> so how do you like being a stand-in? I mean, that's such a fun job. What had actually happened, Lisa, is that I was hosting a very long-running karaoke show in West Hollywood. It was the most I've been there. I it was the most popular singing show anywhere in LA because it wasn't people just singing and now the end is no it was people <laughs> from um, all the shows I was working on, American yeah. Idol, all the shows, they all came and sang. And uh, so it was a very high level, high pressured karaoke show. And, um, uh, but after doing it for over 25 years, I said to a friend of mine who is the, the premier stage manager in show business, a wonderful woman named Debbie Williams, who was oh, the stage Debbie. manager of American, American Idol, Idol for um, most of its run, all of uh, most of its run. She hasn't done it since it moved to ABC, but uh, she's moved back to LA and she's back, you know, she's back, um, uh, I will be, I'll, be working for her uh, very shortly on the on PBS on the uh, AARP music for uh, for adults who watch films. They do the oh, awards every year. Very and, good. Uh, yeah, the best in the business. And I, she was a friend of mine, and I said, you know, I'm really trying to get out of karaoke. Is there anything, you know, uh, I could do on American Idol? She says, well, we hire SAG after actors to be stand-ins because the contestants are, are not allowed on stage. They can come in, rehearse and go. But in order for us to set up the camera and the lighting right. and, and the uh, read the teleprompter, um, we use actors. And uh, maybe it's a little beneath your talent, but maybe you'd like it. And I went in and I played a contestant and it turned out I liked it and I liked the money even more. The and money's was, good? Is the money good? The money was good and really? went, towards, went towards my health insurance. That's, nice. how I got, that's how I got my union health insurance, which uh, by that time uh, I needed. And uh, so, uh, and I, it just grew over the years and I started doing all of these shows, but right. all of the rehearsal actors, we live up to a standard for ourselves. We don't have to sing, we don't have to dance. We do have to read the teleprompter and let me assure you that it is a talent that not everybody can do. I do all the roast shows. I was working I, on the roast of Justin Bieber, and the last roast I think I worked on was the ro roast of Bruce Willis. And you I'm did the roast? Wait a minute. You did the roast, a Hollywood celebrity roast show? Yes. I, I, so I watched that one with Justin Bieber. I, I, I did a whole- What did you I do was, on I, that? I played Jeff Ross. The oh my master, God. The Roastmaster General. Yes, I, yeah. I, I, and I worked on his show. Well, I, but Justin Bieber, that's a whole different story, but on the Bruce Willis roast, I'm sitting next to, for rehearsal, um, tall basketball star Dennis Rodman, and oh, he sees Dennis me, with all that. Oh yeah, and he sees me going up and playing Jeff Ross and giving a, the teleprompter speech, and he sits right. back down and he goes, "Hey man, I don't think I can do that." And I go, "Dennis, give me five minutes with you, and teach you how to read a teleprompter. You look, you look down at the lines you have to read, then come up." So you've, you, you've scanned it for a second, and then you know what, what's coming. 
and that's how you read a teleprompter. Well, that's kind of like what we learned in, in, in Jean's class. Is exactly it. Isn't that like what, how we learned in acting class? Because right. you and I did acting class together for that's years. Correct. We would and, look and, down, and, grab the line, and then look at our scene partner, and we would just write a, look in their eyes and just say it. Right. And, uh, you know, it served me pretty well. But uh, on Justin Bieber's roast, that was incredible because... Um, that was wild. I don't know how old I, I don't know how old he was at the time, but the, during, it was number one. We're doing this at the Sony Studios you know, on a soundstage. You could see your breath; it was so cold. They kept, they said they kept it cold because of the lights. You were freezing, and Justin Bieber is just you know he, he wasn't very talkative. He wasn't very you know he stood there with the rest of us yeah. during rehearsal. Sometimes they engage, sometimes they don't. Of course, the stage managers they all tell you don't speak until you're spoken to, and I go. What do you think you are? We do that. We, we don't speak unless we're spoken to. Well, he steps forward during one of the breaks and he's speaking to his uh, manager, Scooter Braun, who, you know, they're both bazillionaires. And he mm -hmm. goes, hey, Scooter, do you have any you have any room on your jet to go to Vegas tonight? My jet's all full. Oh, goes, my. Yeah, sorry, buddy. My jet's full tonight. And I'm going, yeah, well, I have to pay my Verizon bill. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I. Uh, well, I'm going to be taking Southwest to Vegas. That's so. right. You know, so well, I'm glad your jets are full, boys. Unbelievable. That's just crazy. That's crazy. So has anyone besides Julie Gelfand impressed you? Like, <laughs> like Julie Gelfand, for those of you who don't know, is the associate director of many, many, many shows, which is the second most important position in the director's booth. She, we love she Julie. Don't we love her? are the ones that make that show happen That's and right. easily julie is one of the best in the biz if not best. the best julie, she and her julie, husband yay. her husband greg gelfand he directed american idol for many years mm -hmm. as well as julie doing the show julie you always did the golden globes which i would say for no other reason i want to do the golden globes just so i can get my hug from julie gelfand I love, julie. love that girl her children are the most amazing oh, the girls she are bring amazing. these kids up right and uh love 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 haven't seen her now a couple of years we need uh, to we need to have lunch together i had lunch with julie right before COVID hit lunch julie and i had a lunch together we had a great time but we I, have to yeah, do that i see her on facebook and i uh, uh, saying that i adore her doesn't doesn't really cover it but you know the crew people are what make the show happen you only see the you know the the it's interesting because i work the sag awards and uh, you, would think that, you would think working on the SAG Awards that the rehearsal actors would actually get a credit at the end of the show. But that's one of the things that has been missing from television. Why don't they do, why don't they do that? Um, because they because they consider us uh, the bottom of the barrel. And I always said that the security dog at CBS Beverly and Fairfax has, gets more attention and respect than we rehearsal actors do. Well, I think that's a travesty, and I think that they need to give. You guys work hard. I mean, you we, really do. It, it couldn't happen without us. And uh, we right. give them. We give the director. When I was doing America's Got Talent, I would at first I thought I had to be a little bit more like Howie. wasn't necessary, but um, I would give the director what I believed he was going to need for when Howie sat down. Of course, Howie sat down and made thirty million dollars a season, and I left there with a buck and a quarter. Kind of fair. But uh, I would give the director what I believed Howie was going to eventually do after six years. You pretty much learn what it is you need to do in order to help the director get ready for live programming. And uh, that's the job of a rehearsal actor. A stand-in 
when you're standing on a show, sometimes you don't have to say anything or do anything. You're a, a cardboard cutout. Well, a union cardboard cutout. So when you say a union cardboard, when you say union, so if you're working as a stand-in, are you just getting like SAG after wages? That's correct. And uh, we just we just had a new contract where we just got a raise and a minimum of how many hours they have to pay, whether they're you know uh, whether we're working uh, three hours or whether we're working Ten eleven hours. hours. They raised our minimum. Uh, it's actually not comparable to what the other unions are. Uh, um, Unfortunately, our union sometimes negotiates for stars and not background and stand-ins like me, the little people. So the yeah. rehearsal actor. That, so okay. So the difference between the rehearsal actor and a stand-in. It's the same. Oh, it's the but, same. but but uh, when I'm on when I'm on tomorrow on Dancing with the Stars, I will st just stand there for part of the day, and then if there's any teleprompter reading or moving around or things that I have to do other than being just being the cardboard cutout, that's the moment I become a rehearsal actor. And uh, they've changed over the years. Uh, the, they've kind of told these stand-ins, look, don't sing, don't dance. You don't have to. Uh, they can't make you. And uh, I always did it because it, it was fun. fun for me. And, it's fun. Uh, well, and it gave me, on Dancing with the Stars, I was playing Len Goodman. The judge, the British judge. Oh. No, 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 you can't do it like that. As Ginger Rogers said, she, she did it backwards in high heels. You didn't even yeah. do it forwards. You sound and, like Len. Oh, well, my God. And I don't have good. to. And I don't have to. But uh, the stage manager comes up to me, Lisa, and he says, the guest star in this segment is Chubby Checker, of course, the guy who started the twist. Yeah. And what's what's going to happen is the, the the girls from the troupe they're going to come down. They're going to lift you up as Len Goodman, and you're going to come around the table and you're going to meet Chubby Checker in the middle of the row uh, room, and the two of you are going to start twisting. It says I would love the, to twist with Chubby Checker. Well, then the choreographer comes come over on, to me baby. and says, "Okay, go Moore." She comes over to me and she says, "Let me show you how to do the twist." And I went, "This I know. I learned." From him, Chubby. <laughs> you learned. I said I learned in the sixties from Chubby. So they got okay, and they thought I was being a little haughty. And um, I, I met a girl who went out. She dated Chubby Checker. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah she's she, still around. She calls him Stubby Pecker. And if, there goes the family show again. Oh, and yeah. uh, I got out there and I started doing the twist with Chubby Checker. You this did? was the look. This was the the look on Chubby Checker's face while he was singing. Let's twist again, like we did last. But he's looking like this the whole time. <laughs> I can see it. And that's happened to me a number of times on different shows where um, I would get to play and be the, one of the guest stars. And uh, I was doing American Idol, and Boy George was one of the mentors. And the number was Karma Chameleon, where he comes out with all the contestants. But George was late to rehearsal. So Debbie, of course, uh, she knew my background. Mm -hmm. And Debbie would always yell, Kenny, get up there. I get up on stage, and I'm with the contestants, and they start singing the song Karma Chameleon. Well, I know Karma Chameleon from the first time. You know, of course. I'm 105 years old. And I'm singing full out, Karma, 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 Chameleon, you come and go. And the other contestants who are lined up next to me. I had no idea. They're all, they're all going like this. Because <laughs> they only know me as the stand-in. Right. 
and they had no idea this old man could actually, yeah. you know, so, you know, I, I had a singing voice better than theirs. You, you know? are, when you sang, okay, when we did Pepper Street together and you sang Through Your Eyes, that was, I think, the sh song of the show. I mean, you that was- You can find a clip of it on YouTube. You and Tammy, you and- Tammy Barr. You and Tammy Barr, I mean, you guys, wow, that was amazing. And I think everybody should watch that clip because it was uh, it was a stunner. It really was. You can even find a clip uh, of our dear Martika who replaced Jill Sholin. Yeah, whatever happened to Martika? Well, Martika retired on her uh, on her royalties that she got from Eminem singing the song she wrote, Toy Soldiers. Step That's by right. step, heart by heart, we all fall down. Toy soldier, and she, she got. She had to pay her the royalty. Just she wrote that when we were doing Pepper Street with her. She did, and uh, she retired to upstate New York. I tried to get in touch with her over the years, Lisa, and never heard back from her. Everyone goes their own ways. They're like people. I know. I, I I I tried twice. Once when Gene passed, and once when his dear wife Tony passed. And I thought she would want to know, and um, never heard back from her. I mean, I found an email address for her. Maybe the email address wasn't correct. Who knows? But Martika replaced Jill Sholin, who, those of you who don't know who Jill Sholin is, she was part of the Brat Pack for a while. And of course, look up the movie, the original movie, The Stepfather. Oh, well, yeah. She was the star of it. Phantom of the Opera? She was in the movie of it. She played Christine, didn't she? In the movie. No, 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 no. She, she wasn't. She didn't play Christine. No, no, wait. In the movie Phantom of the Opera? No. No? no? That, was the girl, that was the girl who was on. Uh, Emmy Rossum? It's Emmy Rossum. Well, there was a version. I thought there was a version of Phantom. Well, we'll talk about it later. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm probably wrong. Oh, I could be right. right. If there's a version that she did, I, it's right. not coming to, I should have Jill on the show. I should get her on the show. One of the most talented and wonderful people I have ever known in my life. Um, I, we've, we've actually gotten closer over as the years went past. And after uh, Gene and Tony passed, you know, we spent more time together. I love that girl with all my heart. Jill has a Jill is has a very um, she's got a really good soul, and she and I got very close after Pepper Street. We became we 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 really saw each other a lot, and she's uh, she really is a very good person, and uh, I always wish her well, always. Yep. When you were sitting next to Jennifer Lawrence at the Oscars, did you like want to cop a feel? So what, what had happened was that it was my first time doing the Oscars and um, my first time doing it, all, the, all the rehearsal actors and stand-ins, and that really is a rehearsal actor show because you have to accept awards and give awards and it's a very intense show. And uh, they, who've been doing it for years, they would wear tuxedo tops and nice dresses, but they would all wear sneakers because you're there for, you know, 11, 12, 13 hours. I said, I am not doing my first Oscars in sneakers. Right. Right. And I was wearing patent leather shoes. Well, the stage manager, he saw that I was wearing patent leather shoes. It's Seth MacFarlane who was directing the show that year. He had a bit that he wanted to do with all these different actresses where he's singing, in the movie that we saw, we saw your boobs. And they got Jennifer Lawrence <laughs> and Charlize Theron and uh, um, all these different beautiful actresses. And uh, it was taped before the live show. And right. he said, Kenny, you're going to sit next to Jennifer Lawrence. And when the time comes, we're going to do it three ways. One, when um, he sings, and we never we never saw Jennifer Lawrence's boobs at all. And Jennifer Lawrence would go. So that was <laughs> one, and I would go. 
And another way that we did it was we each gave each other a high five. And then the third way we did it, I would just go. Because <laughs> he thought I, he also thought, you know, I looked very producerly. But you come from a very uh, an entertainment background. I do. My father, uh, my father actually, uh, after after the war, he and a war buddy got together and decided to do a radio show in New York City, which became popular. It was kind of the precursor of Bill Maher's um, politically incorrect, politically incorrect, and and the and the current show, uh, where people would get Real together point. and say things that nobody was saying on the radio right and then they and then they came up with this idea they met this puppeteer down in florida my my, my father's buddy uh, martin Sohn, and he says you know this guy's got a he's got a marionette that he does this thing's got red hair and freckles and it would make a good kid kids tv show let's do it and you'll produce it he said to my father and that show became a show called howdy doody it's howdy doody time. And I was in da, the peanut da, da, gallery. Da, da, da. I, I, at three years old, I was in the peanut gallery and sitting next wow. to me was the famous Clarabelle, who was at that point Clara in the Bell. early part of uh, the howdy doody. It was played by a man who would go on to become very, very famous as Captain Kangaroo, Bob Keeshan. Bob Keeshan. Oh, I loved Captain Kangaroo. Although he made, he made, my, father, jeans. He made my father kind of angry because- Why? Well, nothing's changed since I'm three years old. I'm sitting, it's live TV. I'm sitting there in the peanut gallery and I'm talking. It's live TV. That's and Bob Keishin leans over as Clarabelle. He put his hand over my mouth. And my father saw this man putting no. his hand over his child's mouth. My father got livid. <laughs> oh my God. Bob Keishin put Captain Kangaroo. You didn't. You didn't put your. You know. No, listen. You don't put your hands on a child today, and you certainly didn't do it in the early fifties. And especially if you're Captain Kangaroo. Oh, you know. I mean, I listen. I Bob Keishin had a number of problems during his life, but uh, luckily, putting his hands on me wasn't one of them. Okay, then. Look that up on Google. He he went on to uh, become the biggest production executive in New York TV. He had fa famous shows like Naked City, which was what they used to call New York City after a 1948 movie. Uh, had nothing to do with being naked. Uh, it set the template for all cop shows to follow after it with the crusty old lieutenant and the young detectives like Law and & Order. And then he moved from there to The Defenders, which set the stage for Law & Order in terms of the legal part and did movies like Midnight Cowboy and many other famous uh, things. Wow, so that's my one father, of my favorites. You know, my, and my, my father said, listen, I produced a lot of stuff, including I produced you. Yes, and you're the best thing he produced. Well, he used to say I was the result of an unguided sex life, but. Oh, yeah. we have some curveballs for Kenny. Hey, Adam. Curveballs. Hey, Adam. Adam you got curveballs for let's me? Let's get Adam on the air. Hey, Kenny. Hi. Nice to meet you. Hey, Adam. You too. Hey, I actually, we have something in common. I was, I was a stand-in once. Uh, I was a stand-in in a movie called Blood and Wine. Uh, Jack Nicholson, Michael Caine for Stephen Dorff for three months. It was like wow. best, three, best three months of my life. I'm working on, and just, just so people know that working on a movie is very different from yes. working on a, a television show. Yes, yes, I'm sure it was different set of skills. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I did. They there was there's there's overlap of you know go do what the actor's going to do and you know, uh, but it's pretty chill. It was it was it was fun. That was that was a good experience. It was. So, anyway, I, 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 enjoy, I enjoy working on 
I enjoy working on episodic and and sometimes films. The I don't know if you remember this though. See, when we're on uh, on a reality show, we don't have to tell the stars what to do afterwards. We they they come in and they do what we did. When you're yes. in an episodic show or a movie, the stand-in has to tell the stars. Yeah. The changes made, the lines change. Yeah. And I go, no, that's the job of an AD, not a stand-in. I go, that's not true. I didn't get paid yeah. much anyway. It was just fun to do and like be involved. I thought it was fun. So I wasn't, you know, really this is well, like you, you can know, imagine gro growing up in the business. I, I'm not starstruck. Yeah. Well, you should be. Stars are awesome. Anyway, I am. I'm starstruck. I'm starstruck until I yeah. I um met a few that I realized why. Like who? Yeah. Give me, give me uh, I want a name. You want a name? Yeah. You, 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 you never want a name? You're never gonna meet them, they're not gonna care. No, well I'm not because one of them is dead. Um <laughs> Who's, okay. the who's, who's the dead one? So I was the president of, I, actually, I was, a, well, he was nice. He was nice. So I was just a little disappointed. But he, uh, I was the president of David Cassidy's fan club when I was young. And I even cut my hair like him, like his hair. And I uh, got to do some red carpet interviews as 30, 30 years later, I'm doing a red carpet interview. And all of a sudden, the publicist says, okay, bring David Cassidy on. And I went, <gasps> And I went, oh my God. And I started singing. I looked down and I went, I think I love you. So what am I so? And he looked at me and he gave me this weird look like, shut up. You know, that's, that's kind of like when people walk up to, well, people walk up to Bill Shatner and they all said, to this day, I mean, he's, he's 90 freaking years right. old. And they all say, beam me, beam me up, Scotty. Scotty. And, and, and he's going, really, really? You well, okay, but you know what? This was my moment. Uh, Kenny, you're probably most famous for your long-running, award-winning show, Ask Mr. Traffic. What's the best canyon to take from the valley to West Hollywood? Best canyon to take from West Hollywood? It depends on the time of day. Okay. If you, certain times of day, go. it depends on which direction you're going in, but from the valley to West Hollywood, if you take uh, Laurel Canyon, in the morning, you're you know you're you're uh, you're gonna get stuck in traffic because everyone's going from the valley. And it's so windy. It's so windy. And, and and you have the only times you have to really be careful of that is especially when we have rain. Um, mm -hmm. for, especially these first rains we had a little last weekend, and we didn't have that much here in the LA area, but it's enough to bring the oil up. And uh, I saw people skidding all over the place. Uh, a cold water canyon is another one, depending on the time of day. Don't take it going home. You'll be sitting on your brakes if you take it going home from uh, oh, no. from from LA to the valley. But if right. you're going from the valley into LA, yeah, rush hour, you can go, you can go from the valley to uh, Beverly Hills and uh, and LA by cold water uh, when everyone's going in the opposite direction. And same with the. Uh, and same with uh, Beverly Glen. Beverly oh. Glen is great. I love Beverly Glen because it's just one straight road. You go over Mulholland, you go straight down, you take a left on Sunset or a right on Sunset, depending where you're going. And the best street in LA is San Vicente. In, oh. uh, not, the, not the one in West LA, but the one that cuts through West Hollywood down to LA, all the way to downtown. By Burton Way, if you go, best, yeah. Best, best street there is in LA. All right. Number two, when you stand in for Howie Mandel on America's Got Talent, do you also Pictures. avoid touching people and germs? Are you are you well, a method stand-in? Yeah, if if there was some reason for me to have contact with, uh, at that point it was 
that was one of the Spice Girls, and it was Heidi and and Simon. Mel B. I, orig, originally, uh, it was me, Sharon Osbourne, and uh, uh, Pierce Morgan. That was the original gig, just the three of us. And then the cast changed how we stayed. And if there was some reason on camera while the while, uh, rehearsal was going, where I would have to touch them, would ne you would never see me put my hand on Mel B's, uh, who was played by a wonderful stand-in named Renee Gentry. And uh, lovely, lovely. I, I've, I've worked with her for years. I'll be seeing her. Uh, I'll be, you know, she just did the Emmys. I'll be seeing her at Dancing with the Stars uh, probably tomorrow. Your real last name isn't Morse. No. Were you I'm, hoping I'm, to take? I'm were you honest. hoping to take credit for inventing Morse code, or are you hiding Jewishness? If I had, <laughs> if I had the Morse family money, believe me, I wouldn't be here. I would be in. He wouldn't be on my podcast. I would be in. A, I would be somewhere in the South Pacific. When my parents, um, when I was born, my parents had a premonition, which was very strange for the early fifties, and uh, they thought I was going to need. A professional name for some reason and my birth announcement was in the form of a playbill uh, my father was in the business uh -huh. by that time and they they can't explain how they knew they named me after my father jew in the jewish tradition you put a middle name after a famous deceased family member if you don't use the whole name you use the initial of their first name and uh, i'm about to i'm about to name drop so get ready to pick up a name are you ready I, 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 this is going to be heavy. My father's first cousin and my first cousin once removed was the most famous uh, American opera singer of all time, Beverly Sills. She was and, my mother's uh, favorite. She was my mother's yeah, favorite. Or as I called her, bu Bubbly, or she was yep. known as Bubbles. I mm -hmm. never called her Bubbly. Uh, Bubbles, I only called her Bubbly. Bubbles' father was my father's favorite uncle, Morris, M-O-R-R-I-S. But they thought, yes, Adam, they thought it was a little Jewish for the day because in the early 50s, there was McCarthyism and mm -hmm. um, a lot of anti-Semitism. And uh, they thought that Morris was just a little Jewish sounding. So not only to give me something which would play better, should I ever want to use it as a professional name, because my real name was a little Jewish sounding, you know. Oh, look, there's Kenny Shafo, you know. and. Um, now, you know, there are people who actually use that name as a last name, and it's fine. There's a famous Broadway star whose first name is Beth, and she uses that same last name. But um, you're absolutely right, Adam, is that uh, it was it was in, it didn't have anything to do with Morse code. I wish I was part of that family. But it did have to do with uh, their premonition that I would need a professional name. They gave me the professional name and, uh, and also protect me from the anti-Semitism of the day. Okay. Although I've never been, I, I've, I've never been, I've never had an anti-Semitic incident in my life, strangely enough. Not with Thank that you. name. Thankfully. Ben, that's, that's good to hear. Uh, your father was a producer on Howdy Doody, among other things. What was it like having a big brother that was a marionette? Well, <laughs> it, was, it was very strange because uh, Buffalo Bob was another one of these people. Through my through my career and working with very, very famous people, I've had the pleasure of sitting next to and for long periods of time, stars or interacting with them. And, um, you know, like Lisa was talking about uh, for David Cassidy, uh, you're here and he's not, Lisa. I and know. Uh, some people would treat you very, very well. And other people, 
you're invisible too. Buffalo Bob was one of those people who uh, he may have been a child's puppet master, but he he couldn't suffer children. I mean, he really wasn't he wasn't into children. And uh, so, uh, what was it like having? And he did the he did the voice of the Howdy Doody all pre pre done. There was no ventriloquist. He was not a ventriloquist. And when he would appear with the marionette Howdy Doody, and you would hear Howdy Doody talk, that was all pre recorded. So uh, the no ventriloquism. And um, I'll I'll tell you one of the people who I will never forget how beautifully he treated me. For two years, I was Steven Tyler's stand-in or sit-in oh, he, he American was, Idol. Wow, and, he's a great um, guy. Great guy doesn't even describe it. For somebody, you know, other stars that I would sit next to as judges either on America's Got Talent or American Idol or other shows that I've been a judge on, uh, they would make like I'm invisible. That is not even a good morning. And I go, what the? What a, mm -hmm. When did I become invisible? Just, exactly. just common courtesy. Say hello. Say so I don't have to. And I tried to get I tried to get it explained to me by Debbie Williams once I said to her, why are they making like I'm not even there? They go, it's not about you. It's about them. Everybody wants something from them and they just don't engage oh, people. Come on. I they, don't I don't believe that's bullshit. But, but that's bullshit. I, I'm, I'm, I'm you, can't, with you, but, you can't look at someone in the eye and say, How are you? How are you? I, I'm, I am that Good way. Good to see you. Good to see I you. I am that way with every I mean, I before I leave a before I leave a stage, I will thank everybody. I thank the crew. I will tell the other stand. Because you have good, class. Good job. I'll go up to the cameraman and say, "Who? Nobody says, nobody says thank you." I know. On the set. That's unbelievable. I mean, but Steven Tyler was nice to you. Steven Tyler was one of the unbelievable and maybe it's because he was a superstar by that time but he would go hey kenny how you doing and uh and we would schmooze about we both had something in common uh, we both had feet problems at the time that we both had to have foot operations for and um that that piece of hair that i wore on the uh on the oscars that came from his hair maker oh the one judge who was always very sweet to us on agt was heidi klum She's a sweetheart. Very sweet. She looks like she looks like she'd be very sweet. Very sweet. And uh, on American Idol, uh, Randy was was uh, was Love. very cool, and so was Love Sharon Osbourne. Yeah, was well, she, she? Oh, oh, she actually happens to be extremely nice. One of the best people I've ever met. It, I had lunch with her at the Corner Bakery one day. Hey, you she, see that, Adam? See, she, I, I got to sit next to them, Adam. She goes out to lunch with them. She all. and Ozzy were there, and we we. Well, no, Kenny, she just literally asked me to join them for lunch. We were just getting into, a, oh my God, I love her. I want to know who a plastic, I have to find out who her doctor is. Um, she, would, she will very happily tell you because- Yeah, I need to call, I need to call she her. She and Ozzy have been very upfront about their plastic surgery. Yes, they're very candid about it. Why not? Why the hell not? Is I love when you go over to somebody who has blow these blowfish lips and you say, "Well, oh, the, lip, you, the lips are overdone." No, when you go over and you say, "Could I ask you who you went to?" and they say, "Oh no, I didn't do anything." Yeah, and I, uh, you mean your lips that look like you just kissed a moose? There you go. That's natural. Like I don't get that. Like why don't you just say, "Oh, well, I have people, really good people have." People are, they don't want to tell people they've had Botox. And Joy Behar is very open about it. I mean, She's very open. I love that about And Jane Fonda. 
to. When I used to go to the gym and I was in the locker room, I would see all the women that look like kind of Picasso paintings and I would look at their faces and I would, and I would ask them, who is your doctor? So I knew not to go to them. Yeah, all right. Wonder. There's one, one more question for you. I'm Adam, sorry, uh, Adam, we took your oh, time. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, no, no. Okay. Well, we'll squeeze it in. I love that. Just real, just real quick and very timely. Uh, Adam, has, uh, Adam has patience. Yeah. He has kids. Yeah. Go ahead. You made me write these questions. I'm asking them. Yeah. Okay. So uh, one, of, one of your first roles uh, acting was Prince Edward in The Prince and the Pauper. How did you feel about How did you feel about the recent death of the Queen? Very strange in that, in that um, of course, Barry Pearl and I, as I mentioned earlier, Barry played the pauper. And I played the prince. And uh, one of the first big jobs in my life, we flew to Ireland to film this movie. Always we wanted to go there. We did it in all the, uh, we, were, we were over the moon about doing it. And the fact that Barry and I were best friends then, and uh, uh, you do take on, uh, when, when you're playing a role uh, as a real actor, as Gene and Tony taught Lisa and I to do, and um, you don't really, they become a part of you. And you never really leave them behind. So having played the son of King Henry VIII, uh, who became at a very young, I mean, the father died, and he became the prince at a very young age. And, um, you know, I'm not going to go into the whole story of what happened to uh, young Prince Edward, who became the king. But um, the death of Queen Elizabeth has touched me greatly. And... Uh, she, uh, no matter what you think of the monarchy or the issues around imperialism and slavery, and there's a lot to be said for um, the bad things that have happened because of colonialism and imperialism, not only there, but in this country. But when it's about the death of a monarch who reigns for 70 years and really did more for her country and, and, more, for, and, and more for the tourist industry, when Americans go over to the UK, you know, it's not the uh, crown jewels they want to see because you can't see them. Who's going to Buckingham Palace that mm -hmm. they wanted to see? And certainly nobody ever went to Britain going, oh, I'm going over there because I hear the cuisine is fine. It's going to be interesting, Adam, isn't it, when uh, as we see uh, what happens with the bunny prince Charlie becoming the king. He's yes, I've never, heard, I've never heard him talk so much in the last week. Well, and, and, and a lot of people. Nobody ever heard him talk. Well, no. he talked quite a lot because one of the biggest philanthropists in the world, and what he's done for the he brought up the environment before it was any way politically incorrect or correct to do it. With the before Al Gore, uh, way before, okay. way before. Right. I mean, no, it's, he, this, is, this is why I asked. You know, as somebody who was uh, who pretended to be British for for a couple months, I figured I'd get your perspective. What? Who pretended? Oh, me. I pretended yeah. to be different. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because um, I, I listen very closely to, I would listen very closely to the Queen Elizabeth's accent. And then, of course, listen to Charles as he talks is very measured. And um, the word, you know, when they catch him in uh, some candid moments, you can see him not necessarily being the nicest guy in the world, which- Really, but, I'm shocked. Yes, I know. And the British public are, the, the majority of them are monarchists and they believe in the monarchy. But it's going to be interesting, isn't it? To see how they take to uh, King Charles. And Camilla. And, and uh, well, Camilla is universally He's not like- She's consultant now. You, listen, consultant. You, can't, you, you, you can't stand in the shadow, which maintains to this day, of uh, Diana, 
Diana. It'll, it'll, it'll never be. That, that never. shadow will be there all of their lives. And uh, it's interesting to watch uh, uh, Prince William because he's the living embodiment of uh, if Diana was bald. Yes. Which I relate to. I want to thank Kenny Morris for being on my show today. And I also want to thank my producers, Alan Chizinski, Melissa Leonard, Pretty Easy Podcast, my composer, Jeff Urban, and my writer, Adam Labarkin. And to all of you, thank you for watching and listening. And until next time, leaning out. Put it to the test Lean in, Lisa So get off your chest It's more than just a trend Cause everyone's her friend So lean in with Lisa Spend your time with Lisa Lisa's got something to say So reach out to Lisa every day